All right, let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. How many of you know somebody that has a bad habit? All right. How many of you know somebody in this room that has a bad habit? All right. No pointing, please. All right. Now, let me ask you, how many of you would be big enough to admit here that you have a bad habit? All right. Here's what I want you to do. All right. For just a second. For some of you, this is going to be life altering. I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you and admit to them a bad habit you have. I don't hear a lot of talking, all right? Like, like I've been avoiding that for years. What are you talking about? So tell them a bad habit you have. All right, here's what we're going to do now. I, I have found this week a list of the seven most common bad habits. All right, so it's going to be a little bit of an exam to see if you fit into one of these seven or a couple of these or maybe you... Get them all, all right? So here's number seven on the list. The seventh most frequent one is cracking joints. Now, you know like what that means, like popping your knuckles. How many of you pop your knuckles, all right? By the way, those of you out there, you know the old wives' tale that causes arthritis? It's gone. It's not true, all right? Science has proved that wrong. All, all the knuckle crackers out there say amen. amen. That's right, all right? And so that's one of them. All right, here's the, the sixth most common one, skipping breakfast. Some of you are like, that's not a habit, that's just life. What are you talking about? That's a bad, yeah, that's a bad habit. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, all right? Here's, here's the next one on the list, avoiding eye contact. You, you know, are you talking to somebody? Now, today, there's, that used to be bad, but today it's really bad because technology helps us, right? You don't have to actually... Look at people. All right, here's the next one on the list. See, this is late night snacking. All right, somebody, what's your favorite late night snack? Pickles? Did I hear pickles? That's just wrong. All right. Late, somebody else, your favorite late night snack? Peanut butter, the frosted donuts. All right. Late night snacking. All right. Here's the next one. Using um and like, like when you're um, trying to like talk and stuff and you, uh, um, you can't help but um, like talk like, you know, um, like that. The problem is I'll do that to be a joke and then I um, like won't be able to stop for the rest of the um, like time. All right. And then he, I think this is the last. Oh, there's playing with your hair. I have a problem with that. I just... Anybody play with your hair there? <laughs> I did not need to see that, Jeff Kelly. All right. <laughs> uh, and then the last one is nail biting, otherwise known as the redneck manicure. All right. Some of you get that later. All right. So those are bad habits, right? Now, here's the thing about those. Most of those are innocuous. They're not really harmful. They may be annoying, to people around you, you may realize their bad habits, and even some of them might have some health concerns, but for the most part, they're not sinful or bad. But what happens when your bad habit is? Well, instead of being something innocuous like popping your knuckles or using like and uh, 
Instead, it's something that's harmful or wrong. And you just keep going back to it. What happens when your bad habit is worry? You say you're not going to worry anymore and it's not going to be bad. And then you go back to not sleeping at night and worry. What happens when your bad habit is that when someone shares something with you about somebody else, you can't help but think of who you can tell about what you've just heard? What happens when your bad habit is an addiction? Something you can't get away from, a physical addiction to some sort of drug or product or alcohol. You just keep falling back into that same behavior over and over again. What happens when your bad habit is what you look at on the computer when everybody else has gone somewhere? When you're by yourself and you have access to a computer and you begin to surf the web to areas you know you shouldn't be surfing, what if it that's your bad habit? It's continual. What happens when your bad habit is criticizing your spouse and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, and then you find yourself again and again doing it? Or you say, I'm not going to get angry anymore, and it's a bad habit for me to get angry and to express my anger and to let it all out, and then you find yourself snapping when you know you should have kept it together. What happens when your bad habit is skirting around the edges of truth. Making yourself sound a little better or not being completely truthful with people. Lying instead of being honest. What happens when your bad habit is something that does impact people? Impacts you and your walk with the Lord. Here's the question we're going to talk about today. It's a question that was asked, a question that was written on the sheets, and I got in a couple of different methods, but I got from a few of you. Can I be a Christian and still struggle with the same sin again and again? Can I be a follower of Jesus Christ and continue to struggle with the same sin over and over again? And here's what I want to tell you right from the very beginning is that this is one of those issues that even when you go to the Bible, it's it's hard sometimes to get clarity on what's happening. For instance, I was looking this week at the book of First John, and that's not where we're going to spend the majority of our time. But there's this interesting thing that happens in the book of First John at, at the beginning of the book, in the first chapter of the book of First John, John writes to this church and he says to them, listen, you're followers of Jesus, you're people that have believed in Jesus. And then he says this to them. But if any of you claims to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so he says, listen, if any of you who are followers of Jesus Christ still claim that you are without sin, then you are making God to be a liar and the truth is not in you. You are deceiving yourselves. And so basically he says, listen, when you come to follow Jesus, when you accept his forgiveness, when you become a believer, when you become a Christian, it doesn't immediately make you perfect. 
There are going to be issues. There are going to be sin. There's going to be things out there that you're going to do. You're not going to immediately begin to do everything exactly like you're supposed to do. And so if you claim that you don't have sin, then you're lying. Then two chapters later in 1 John chapter 3, he looks at him and says, But you know that he appeared, that's Jesus, so that Jesus might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, we could get into all the kind of descriptions of, um, of what is being talked about here, but I just want you to see that even in the book of 1 John, there's this understanding that there is a fine line between those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ sinning and continuing in sin. And so you ask the question, can I be a Christian and still struggle with the same sin again and again, if you've got a copy of your Bible, if you've got a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. What I want to do is look at this passage of Scripture, just walk through it, talk about a couple of questions, and then get real practical for a couple of minutes. Romans chapter 7. Let me ask you, while some of you are turning there, those of you that know, who wrote the book of Romans? Paul, all right? Everybody know who Paul is? Who is Paul? He was Saul. There we go. We got that part. What else do we know about Paul? What do we know? What did Paul do? That's good. He was a missionary, right? Like some of you that grew up in Sunday school, he took three missionary journeys. I can map them out, all right? He was a missionary. He, he was a guy that was a persecutor of Christians, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, became a follower of Jesus, and not just any follower of Jesus. He became one of the most devout Faithful followers of Jesus that has ever lived. In fact, if you had a top ten followers of Jesus poll, he would be right there at the top, right? Can we agree on that? Can we agree on that? Okay. He, he's like one of the examples that we said. In fact, he told people in his writings, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we know this to be a believer in Christ, a solid believer in Christ, somebody that is living in Christ. And in chapter 7, verse 15, he says this. I do not understand what I do. For, can we just stop there for a minute? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? You don't understand what you're doing. Like, he says, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, just a quick word there. In our house, and in many of your houses I know, we really discourage the use of the word hate. You know why? Because it is a strong word that conveys deep meaning. And so Paul doesn't just flippantly use it here. He is speaking to the truth that it's not just that he does some stuff that's bad habits. He sometimes acts in ways that is not what he wants to do at all. He hates it. Now, this is Paul. One of the top two or three believers, if you even could rank stuff like that, to ever follow Jesus Christ. A guy that wrote a good portion of the New Testament that we study. And he says, 
I don't understand myself. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. Verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, there's some background there. That's talking about the Old Testament law. And he's been arguing in the book of Romans that the whole reason the law was set up to show us how bad we are and how in need of Jesus we are. And so he says, when I realize my own sinfulness, my own fallenness, the reason that I come short of what God intends, what I realize is the law was good in reminding me of that. But then he says this. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. Paul is saying that from the moment we're born, we are born with a nature that leads us away from God. You ever heard the phrase, people are basically good? Anybody ever heard that phrase? You hear it on the news a lot. You hear it on the people, people are basically good. Can I tell you what that, the Bible says about that phrase? That it is baloney. Wrong. We are basically, at our nature, sinners. People who choose to go against God. People that choose to walk away from Him. And Paul says, the very nature of who I am dwelling inside of me is this one that wants to walk away from the Lord. And he's saying that when it happens, what I'll choose to do is that I walk away from Him and I do what I do not want to do. What I do is what I hate to do. I don't want to do any of that. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I can't. I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. So, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's a sin that living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Here's the picture Paul gives us. In this passage, he says that when you and I are born, there is a sinful nature. And as we live our lives given to our own devices, we are going to follow that sinful nature to its natural end, which is death and destruction. Now, we're going to get to the Jesus part in a minute of Paul, but let me go ahead and tell you that Paul will say that the only way we are rescued from our sin is in the work of what Jesus has done. And as we put our faith and our trust in Him, He begins to transform us into the person that we are to be in Him. But, currently, we are living in between those two places. And as He has made us new in Christ and our sins have been forgiven, we are still in the process of becoming who God intends for us to be. And while that's happening, there is this war going on. He says, my inner self is constantly struggling. Now, cartoons show us this for years with an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other, right? But it's not quite like that. It's not like you literally have those kind of things happening or whispering in your ear. But there is at play this sinful nature that wants to just continue doing What we've been doing. Verse 22. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another work, another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against me, the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin, working within my members. There's this real struggle going on. Now here's what I want you to see for just a minute. Just because you're struggling with sin doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because you're struggling with sin, there are people that say, listen, if you're still struggling with sin, then, then you haven't followed Jesus. That that's, can't be farther from the truth. But here's what I want you to kind of understand. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and sin is a natural part of your life, there ought to be a struggle with it. You shouldn't view it the same as you once did. In fact, Paul will say at the end of this verse, and thank you for kind of sticking with me. This is kind of lots of do's and complication here, but he gets to the end of this and he says, at the end of it, what I realize that I am a wretched man who has no hope of rescue outside of Jesus. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus our Lord. So the book of Romans, chapter 7, Paul shows us that he too struggles with this inner being, this sinful nature that is in the process of being wiped out. But we still find ourselves struggling with it. And what he says is, I end up doing things I don't want to do. I end up not doing things I should be doing. And he reminds us of this struggle that we all have where we say to ourselves at night, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to say that anymore. And we wake up the next morning. We may do good for a day or we may do good for two days. But eventually we fall back into that sinful pattern we found ourselves and we say, how in the world did I ever get here? Paul says, in the midst of that, the most important thing to kind of understand is the attitude we have. You see, Paul is telling us here, it's okay to not be okay. And one of the things I want you to understand as pastor of this church, if you're here, it is perfectly okay for you not to be okay. You know why? Because none of us in this room are okay. None of us are. We've all messed up. We all are messed up. We all have issues. We all have problems. We are works in progress. And for any of us to act like it's not okay to not be okay is to lie. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Paul means when he uses that whole thing about being a wretched man. It is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to want to stay that way. You see, some people ask the question, hey, can I be a Christian and still struggle with the same sin? Because what they really want to do is still do that sin and still live as a Christian. They want to enjoy the sin. And basically what they're saying is, do I really have to give that up and follow to follow Jesus? You understand the difference in that question, right? Is it okay for me to still hold on to this stuff over here? I got some junk over here, but you know what? I kind of like it. Is it okay if I still do that? I'll work on it, but is it okay if I still do that and I'll follow Jesus? It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to want to stay that way. What Paul is getting at here is, I don't like the fact that in my body I have all these struggles and I have these issues and the sinful nature seems to win out over and over again. I am a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked man and I have nothing in hope except in Jesus. His goal is not to stay that way, but to become what Christ makes you. In fact, 
Sometimes I'll hear Christians even say things about their attitude or their words or how they are. And they'll say, you don't understand, that's just how I'm made. That's just my daddy was like that, my granddaddy was like that. That's just who I am. And here's the reality of that. When Jesus Christ saved you, he made you new. That is no longer an excuse for you to stay the way you are. Just because your daddy's daddy was like that doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to be like that. It all comes down. The answer to that question all comes down to thinking about our attitude towards sin. And really, when you ask the question, can I be a Christian and still struggle with the same sin again and again, that's not really the the best question. There there is a better question than that. And this is the the real question for you. Do you want to continue to struggle with sin or do you want to be set free? Because if your whole idea is to continue to struggle with the same sin and follow Jesus, can I have my cake and eat it too, is to show an attitude that is troubling. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we do that as a congregation because Scripture tells us to, but it also is a great reminder for us about the fact that Jesus paid for our sins, he saved us, and he has made us guilt-free. Last week we talked about letting go of your guilt, and absolutely, we let go of our guilt because our sins are forgiven. How many of our sins are forgiven? All of our sins are forgiven. But as a response to that, our attitude towards sin ought to be that we want it killed, we want it gone, we want it out, we want it removed, we don't want it kind of lingering there. I mean, it'd be like having a medical condition and finding out there was a treatment and a cure for it and saying, no, that's okay, I'm just going to let myself go. We want it out. We want it gone. We want it free. Paul says, I'm a wretched man, but thanks be to God through Jesus that he can set me free. And here's what I want to do just for the next couple of minutes. I want to talk about if you really want to be set free. Now listen, if your attitude is, I don't want to be set free, I want to keep it, I want to hold on to it, can I tell you, you've got deeper questions to answer. Because if you're more concerned about holding on to your sin than you are about following Jesus, you need to check where your allegiance lies. But if you want to be set free, let me give you, we could do a sermon series on this, but let me give you three simple steps. And the first step is, You have got to learn to call it what it is. When you look at what that is you're struggling with in life, you've got to learn to call it what it is. And here's what I mean by that. You can't call it by other names. You have to call it by what it is. For instance, I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen. And all I ask you to do is when you see the picture, you call out what it is. All right? It's not going to, these aren't trick questions. All right? So for instance, here's the first one. Dog, puppy, I heard a couple of alls. That is not an all, all right? So that's a dog, right? Here's the second one. What's this one? Look at that, a duck. All right, here's the next one. Elephant, there we go. The next one. Evil, cat, whatever you would prefer with that. Either one is acceptable answer. All right? I mean, this cat obviously is much cuter than the average cat, right? It's a kitten. All right, and then the last one. All right? It's easy to call things what they are, and it's easy to say that word when it's there. 
but sometimes in our lives, it's hard to admit what we're doing is sin. Even in my life, you know what I've discovered? I'm real good at seeing sin in other people's lives. Not so good in calling it that in mine. In fact, when people come and talk to me, oftentimes, even as a pastor, I mean, I'm the pastor, I'm the guy people come talk to about spiritual, religious stuff. This word is rarely used. Pastor, I got some stuff I'm struggling with. Hey, Pastor, I got some issues. Hey, I've made a couple of mistakes. Sin is not a mistake. I, I deal with mistakes. I help my kids with homework. Mistakes are when Luke forgets to carry the one in addition. An affair is not a mistake. It's a decision. It's a sin. Secret passwords on computers to access sites that you shouldn't be accessing is not a mistake. It's sin. Calling the same four friends every time you find out a juicy piece of gossip is not a mistake. It's sin. The first step in being free of what that is in your life is to call it what it is and to call it sin. It is wrong. It is not acceptable. I could rationalize it all day long, but I'm going to stop and just say it is sin. Here's a second one. Confess it to God. Call it a sin and then confess it to God. You know, when I was growing up, adults used to say things to me that didn't always make sense. Anybody ever have that experience? Some of you on the front row down there. Yeah, absolutely. When I was growing up, I grew up with an old southern family. And my grandmother, who was just a fiery pistol, granny nail, granny used to tell me, if you don't get straight, I'm going to jerk a knot in you. How many of you ever heard that phrase? And I would sit there, and when I was young, like six or seven years old, I was like, what would that even look like? I don't know. What would it look like to get a knot jerked into me? I don't know. If you've never heard that, it's an intimidating phrase to hear, right? And so I would hear that from my grandmother. I was like, I don't know what that is. And sometimes when I wouldn't do what she was wanting me to do, and she had threatened to jerk a knot in me, instead she would just uh, spank me, you know? And when I, when I would get spanked, I would, I would cry, right? Or if I didn't get something I wanted, I would cry. And she would then look at me and she would say, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about, right? How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever said that? You can keep those. Yeah. Some of you adults are like, I didn't say, yes, you have, all right? You've at least thought it, right? When I was in Sunday school, I remember my teacher about that same age, looking at me and saying, God knows everything about you. He knows everything you do. He knows everything you say. He knows everything you think. And I remember at that age not thinking that was a good thing. Right? I mean, honestly, let's all be honest. That's not really a good thing now. I got a couple of amens there, right? But I remember then, especially it was like, God is watching you. Everything you say and do. Be careful. It's almost like Santa Claus year-round, right? Knows when you're awake, knows when you're sleeping, knows when you've been naughty, knows when you've been nice, all that. 
And then I was, she would, you know, just a few moments later, they would say, and when you do something wrong, when you commit a sin, you need to confess your sin to God. And I remember honestly asking the question, why do I need to tell him what he already knows? You ever thought about that? Why do I need to tell him what he already knows? And here's the reality for us. It's because confession is not about giving new information to God. It's about surrendering yourself to whatever is to come from Him. It's surrendering to Him. You ever had to confess something to somebody that you've hurt? There are very few things in life that make you more vulnerable than confessing a wrong to somebody else. And when you come before God and say, this is what I've done, it's not like God's going to go, wow, I did not realize that. But it does open us up and surrender us to him. And then, before we go to the next one, I just want you to know that the third, there's only three steps, but the third step is where most people get tripped up. The third step is where most people stop. And because they don't do the third step is why most people are still struggling with the same thing again and again. After you admit that it's sin, after you confess it to God, then you need to confess it to others. <laughs> Pastor, I'm a private person. I, I really, That's my business. That's not their business. Nobody really needs to know that. It's not hurting anybody else. It's a personal thing. It's a private thing. I don't need to share that with other people. Can I just tell you that privacy is what fuels habitual sin. Keeping it private and to myself and nobody else needs to know that. and We're just going to keep it right here. Nobody needs to share that because without sharing it, there is no accountability. There is no actual realization of the depth of what is going on. Now, in case you're wondering about that, there's two verses of Scripture that I just want to share with you real quick. First comes from James, and it says that we are to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, so that you may be set free, so that you may be delivered. And then it says this, and a lot of people use this last part of this verse, but they use it in something unrelated to what it was intended for. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And the point here is, if you want to break free from a habitual sin, from the sins that are controlling your life, someone else's prayers can be powerful and effective in your life. And then in Proverbs, it says this, that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses it and renounces them finds mercy. The question really is, do you want to continue to struggle with sin or do you want to be set free? And if you want to be set free, are you willing to call it a sin, to confess it to God, and then confess it to others and let them hold you accountable. That's the steps to being released. Let's pray together.